Chapter Twelve, Part Three of the Life of Clara Barton, Volume Two by William Barton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve, Part Three The Red Cross in Peace. Armenia in eighteen ninety five and eighteen ninety six. In November eighteen ninety five, the press commenced to warn us of a possible call for the relief of the terrible sufferings of Armenia, which were engaging the attention of the civilized world. These warnings were followed later by a letter from the Reverend Judson Smith, D.D., of Boston, Secretary of the American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions, referring his suggestion back to the Reverend Henry O. Dwight, D.D., of the American Board of Foreign Missions at Constantinople. The American Red Cross was requested by these representative gentlemen to undertake the distribution of relief funds among the sufferers of Armenia. Owing to the disturbed condition of the country and of its strict laws, combined as they were with existing racial and religious differences, it was found almost impossible at the moment to distribute the relief needed. The faithful but distressed resident missionaries were themselves helpless sufferers to a great extent and practically prisoners in their own houses. These had not always been spared to them in the wild excitement which reigned for several months previous. Otherwise, they would have been the normal channels for distributing aid. This written request from Dr. Smith was nearly identical with a similar one from Mr. Spencer Trask of New York, who with others was about to form a National Armenian Relief Committee to be established in that city. Following their letters, both of these gentlemen, Dr. Smith and Mr. Trask, came to Washington personally to urge our compliance with the request that we accept the charge of this distribution of relief funds. Accustomed to the trials, responsibilities, and hardships of field relief labor, this proposition seemed something to be shrunk from rather than accepted and we naturally hesitated the idea however became public and a general importunity on the part of the people became prevalent the necessity for immediate action was urged human beings were starving and could not be reached Hundreds of towns and villages had not been heard from since the fire and sward went over them, and no one else was so well prepared for the work of field relief, it was said, as ourselves. It was urged that we had a trained force of field workers, and as Turkey was one of the signatory powers to the Red Cross Treaty of Geneva, having given its adhesion as long ago as july eighteen sixty five it must consequently be familiar with its methods and humanitarian ideas thus it was hoped that she would the more readily accept its presence than that of a more strange body of workers these are only a shadowing of the reasons urged on behalf of our acceptance under this pressure coupled with our strong sympathies, 
the subject was taken into serious consideration with the simple demand on our part of two positive assurances. First, we must be assured by the committees that we were the choice of the people of the entire country, that there was no opposition to us, and that there was perfect unanimity between themselves. There must be nowhere any discord. The task would be difficult enough under the best conditions. Second, that they had the funds to distribute. Assured on both these points, our promise was given that we would go and do our best to make the desired distribution in the interior of Asia Minor. With this ray of hope that something might be done, the pent-up sympathies of the people burst forth. Public meetings were held, addresses made, Armenian conditions estimated, horrors reproduced, responsibilities placed, causes canvassed, and opinions expressed. Honest, humane, and entirely natural, precisely the course to rouse public sentiment and indignation, if that were the only or the main object in view. In consideration, however, of the relief effort, it was of questionable wisdom, perhaps, when it is borne in mind that we had yet to ask the opening of a door hitherto closed against the world, when we needed permission to enter, in order to reach the starving sufferers with the relief that was planning for them. In the enthusiasm of the hour, this fact seemed to be entirely lost sight of. It also seemed to be forgotten that if this difficult and delicate task were to be assigned to the Red Cross and its officers, the making of their mission, or of themselves personally, prominent or laudatory features of public gatherings where Ottoman officials or representatives were always listeners, could not fail to render the post more difficult and prospects of success more doubtful. The international and neutral character of the Red Cross, as a medium of relief in mitigation of war or overwhelming calamity, appeared to be overlooked or wholly misunderstood. It was not recognized that only by abstaining from discordant opinions could we be in a position to perform our work by the obligations of the geneva treaty all national controversies racial distinctions and differences in creed must be held in abeyance and only the needs of humanity considered in this spirit alone can the red cross meet its obligations as the representative of the nations and governments of the world acting under it but american enthusiasm is boundless and its expression limitless and the same breath that crushed the ottoman empire scattered it to the winds or sunk it in the lowest depths elevated the red cross and its proposed relief out of sight among the clouds precautionary remonstrance from us was in vain but it was not until after we had publicly given our consent made all arrangements and appointed our aides 
that the fruits of these ardent demonstrations became visible in a pronunciamento through the Turkish minister resident at Washington, prohibiting the Red Cross from entering Turkey. I found this decision on the part of the Bey and his government very natural and politically justifiable. Our own government and people would probably have done the same, or even more, under similar conditions, provided similar conditions could have existed among them. I was ready to abide by the decision and remain at home. This neither people nor committees would consent to. Of course, our selected force of more than a score of trained and experienced field workers, each a specialist, must be given up. If any relief were now attempted, it could only be individual, with two or three officers from headquarters as indispensable aides. Previous to the announcement of the Turkish minister prohibiting the Red Cross from entering Turkey, the promise had been gained from us to leave by the steamship New York on the 22nd of January, and notwithstanding the reply to a cablegram from the Department of State to Constantinople, asking if the prohibition against the entrance of the Red Cross was really official and from the government itself, or but semi-official, had not been received. Our promise was kept, and we sailed with this uncertainty resting over us. The picture of that scene is still vivid in my memory. Crowded piers, wild with hurrahs, white with parting salutes, hearts beating with exultation and expectation, a little shorn band of five prohibited, unsustained, either by government or other authority, destined to a port five thousand miles away, from approach to which even the powers of the world had shrunk. What was it expected to do, or how to do it? Visions of Don Quixote and his windmills loomed up, as I turned away and wondered. A week at sea, to be met at midnight at Southampton, by messenger down from London, to say that the prohibition was sustained, the Red Cross was forbidden, but that such persons as our minister, Mr. Terrell, would appoint, would be received. Here was another delicate uncertainty, which could not be committed to Ottoman telegraph, and Dr. Hubble was dispatched alone to Constantinople, while we waited in London, to learn from Mr. Terrell his attitude toward ourselves and our mission. Under favorable responses we proceeded, and reached Constantinople on February 15th, met a most cordial reception from all our own government officials, and located pro tem at Para Palace Hotel it being so recently after the stamboul massacres that no less public place was deemed safe the following day we received in a body the members of the missionary board in constantinople including its treasurer w w pete and dr washburn president of robert college and here commenced that friendly intercourse which continued without interruption 
strengthening as the days wore on through the half-year that followed, till moistened eyes and warm hand-grasp at parting told more plainly than words how fraught with confidence that intercourse had been. If one would look for peers of this accomplished Christian body of our countrymen, they would only be found in the noble band of women who, as wives, mothers, and teachers, aid their labors and share their hardships, privations, and dangers. I shall always feel it a privilege and an honor to have been called, even in a small way, to assist the efforts of this chosen body of our countrymen and women, whose faithful and devoted lives are made sacred to the service of God and their fellow men. The first step was to procure an introduction to the government which had in one sense refused me, and accompanied by Minister Turrell and his premier interpreter, Gargiulo, perhaps the longest-serving and one of the most experienced diplomatic officers in Constantinople, I called by appointment upon Tufik Pasha, the Turkish Minister of Foreign Affairs or Minister of State. To those conversant with the personages connected with Turkish affairs, I need not say that Tufik Pasha is probably the foremost man of the government a manly man, with a kind, fine face, and genial, polished manners, educated abroad, with advanced views on general subjects. He impresses one as a man who would sanction no wrong it was in his power to avert. We were received at the Department of State in an uninterrupted interview lasting over an hour. As this was the main interview and the base of all our work, it is perhaps proper that I give it somewhat in detail. Mr. Turrell's introduction was most appropriate and well expressed, bearing with strong emphasis upon the suffering condition of the people of the interior in consequence of the massacres, and the great sympathy of the people of America, their intense desire to help them, the heartfelt interest in their missionaries whose burdens were greater than they ought to bear and the desire to aid them and that for all these reasons we had been asked to come that our objects were purely humanitarian having neither political racial nor religious bearing as such that as the head of the organization thus represented, I could have no other ideas, and it was the privilege of putting these ideas into practice, and the protection required meanwhile that the people of America, through him and through me, were asking. The Pasha listened most attentively to the speech of Mr. Turrell, thanked him, and replied that this was well understood that they knew the red cross and its president and turning to me repeated we know you miss barton have long known you and your work we would like to hear your plans for relief and what you desire i proceeded to state them 
bearing fully upon the fact that the condition to which the people of the interior of Asia Minor had been reduced by recent events had aroused the sympathy of the entire American people until they asked, almost to the extent of a demand, that assistance from them should be allowed to go directly to these sufferers, hundreds of whom had friends and relatives in America, a fact which naturally strengthened both the interest and the demand, that it was at the request of our people and mass that I and a few assistants had come, that our object would be to use the funds ourselves among the people needing them wherever they were found in helping them to resume their former positions and vocations thus relieving them from continued distress the state from the burden of providing for them and other nations and people from a torrent of sympathy which was both hard to endure and unwholesome in its effects that I had brought skilled agents, practical and experienced farmers, whose first efforts would be to get the people back to their deserted fields and provide them with farming implements and material wherewith to put in summer crops and thus enable them to feed themselves. These would embrace plows, hoes, spades, seed corn, wheat, and later, sickles, scythes etc for harvesting with which to save the miles of autumn grain which we had heard of as growing on the great plains already in the ground before the trouble also to provide for them such cattle and other animals as it would be possible to purchase or to get back that if some such thing were not done before another winter unless we had been greatly misinformed the suffering there would shock the entire civilized world. None of us knew from personal observations, as yet, the full need of assistance, but had reason to believe it very great, that if my agents were permitted to go, such need as they found would be prompt to relieve. On the other hand, if they did not find the need existing there, none would leave the field so gladly as they there would be no respecting of persons humanity alone would be their guide we have i added brought only ourselves no correspondent has accompanied us and we shall have none and shall not go home to write a book on turkey we're not here for that nothing shall be done in any concealed manner all dispatches which we send will go openly through your own telegraph, and I should be glad if all that we shall write could be seen by your government. I cannot, of course, say what its character will be, but can vouch for its truth, fairness, and integrity, and for the conduct of every leading man who shall be sent." i shall never counsel nor permit a sly or underhand action with your government and you will pardon me pasha if i say that i shall expect the same treatment in return such as i give i shall expect to receive almost without a breath he replied and you shall have it we honor your position and your wishes will be respected 
such aid and protection as we are able to, we shall render. I then asked if it were necessary for me to see other officials. No, he replied, I speak for my government, and with cordial good wishes our interview closed. I never spoke personally with this gentleman again, all further business being officially transacted through the officers of our legation. Yet I can truly say as I have said of my first meeting with our matchless band of missionary workers, that here commenced an acquaintance which proved invaluable, and here were given pledges of mutual faith of which not a word was ever broken or invalidated on either side, and to which I owe what we were able to do through all Asia Minor. It is to the strong escorts ordered from the sublime port for our expeditions and men that I owe the fact that they all came back to me, and that I bring them home to you, tired and worn, but saved and useful still. Dr. Hubble and the leaders of the five expeditions tell us that they were never, even for a portion of a day, without an escort for protection and this at the expense of the Turkish government, and that without this protection they must not and could not have proceeded. At length the task was accomplished. One by one the expeditions closed and withdrew, returning by Sivas and Samson, and coming out by the Black Sea. By that time it is probable that no one questioned the propriety of their route or longer wondered at their method of work. The perplexed frowns of our anxious committees and sympathetic people had long given way to smiles of confidence and approval, and glad hands would have reached far over the waters to meet ours as warmly extended to them. With the return of the expeditions, we closed the field, but before leaving Constantinople, funds from both the New York and Boston committees came to us amounting to some $15,000. This was happily placed with Mr. Pete, treasurer of the Board of Foreign Missions at Stamboul, for the building of little houses in the interior as a winter shelter and protection where all had been destroyed. The appearance of our men on their arrival at Constantinople confirmed the impression that they had not been recalled too soon. They had gone out through the snows and ice of winter, and without change or rest had come back through the scorching suns of midsummer. Five months of rough, uncivilized life, faring and sharing with their beasts of burden, well nigh out of communication with the civilized world, but never out of danger. It seemed but just to themselves and to others who might yet need them that change and rest be given them. Since our entrance upon Turkish soil, no general disturbance had taken place. One heard only the low rumbling of the thunder after the storm, the clouds were drifting southward and settling over Crete and Macedonia, and we felt that we might take at least some steps toward home. 
it was only when this movement commenced that we began truly to realize how deep the roots of friendship comradeship confidence and love had struck back among our newly found friends and countrymen how much a part of ourselves educational humanitarian and official their work and interest had become and surely from them we learned anew the lesson of reciprocity some days of physical rest were needful for the men of the expeditions after reaching constantinople before commencing another journey of thousands of miles worn as they were by exposure hardship and incessant labor both physical and mental this interval of time was however mainly employed by them in the preparation of the reports submitted with this and in attention to the letters which followed them from their various fields telling of further need but more largely overflowing with gratitude and blessing for what had been done for our financial secretary and myself there could be neither rest nor respite while we remained at a dispersing post so well known as ours indeed there had never been from the time of our arrival in february to our embarkation in august there were but two days not strictly devoted to business the fourth of july and the fifth of august the last a farewell to our friends for both of these occasions we were indebted to the hospitality of treasurer and mrs w w peat and although held in the open air on the crowning point of Proti, one of the prince's islands, with the Marmora, Bosporus, and Golden Horn in full view, the spires and minarets of Constantinople and Scutari, telling us of a land we knew little of, with peoples and customs strange and incomprehensible to us, still there was no lack of the emblem that makes every American at home and its wavy folds of red white and blue shaded the tables and flecked the tasteful viands around which sat the renowned leaders of the american missionary element of asia minor henry o dwight d d the accomplished gentleman and diplomatic head who was the first to suggest an appeal to the red cross and i am glad to feel he has never repented him of his decision one fact in regard to dr dwight may be of interest to some hundreds of thousands of our people on first meeting him i was not quite sure of the title by which to address him if reverend or doctor and took the courage to ask him he turned a glance full of amused meaning upon me as he replied that is of little consequence. The title I prize most is Captain Dwight. Of what? I asked. Company D, 20th Ohio Volunteers, in our late war. The recognition which followed can well be imagined by the comrades for whose interest I have named the incident. The Reverend Joseph K. Green, D.D., and his amiable wife, 
to whom so much is due toward the well-being of the missionary work of Constantinople. I regret that I am not able to reproduce the eloquent and patriotic remarks of Dr. Green on both these occasions, so true to our country, our government, and our laws. The Reverend George P. Knapp, formerly of Bitlis, whose courage no one questions, Mrs. Lee of Mirage, and Mrs. Dr. George Washburn of Robert College, the worthy and efficient daughters of the Reverend Dr. Cyrus Hamlin, the veteran missionary and founder of Robert College, living in Lexington, Massachusetts. A half-score of teachers, whose grand lives will one day grace the pages of religious history. And last, though by no means least, our host, the man of few words and much work, who bears the burden of monetary relief for the woes and wants of Asia Minor, W. W. Pete. It was a great satisfaction that most of our field agents were able to be present at the last of these beautiful occasions and personally render an account of their stewardship to those who had watched their course with such interest. The pleasure of these two days of recreation will ever remain a golden light in our memories. As the first official act of the relief work, after our arrival in Constantinople was my formal presentation to the sublime port by the American minister, the Honorable A. W. Tyrrell. Diplomatic courtesy demanded that I take proper occasion to notify the Turkish government of our departure and return thanks for its assistance, which was done formally at Selimlik, a religious ceremony held on the Turkish Sabbath, which corresponds to our Friday. The court chamberlain delivered my message to the palace. It was received and responded to through the same medium, and I took my departure, having finished my diplomatic work with that government which had from first to last treated me with respect, assisted my work, and protected my workers. To correct certain impressions and expressions which have been circulating more or less extensively in this country, and for the correct information of the people who through their loyal interest deserve to know the facts, I make known my entire social relations while residing in Turkey. Personally, I did not go beyond Constantinople. The proper conduct of our work demanded the continuous presence of both our financial secretary and myself at headquarters. I never saw, to communicate with personally, any member of the Turkish government excepting its minister of foreign affairs, Tufik Pasha, as named previously. I never spoke with the sultan, and have never seen him, excepting in his carriage on the way to his mosque. On being informed through our legation that the Turkish minister at Washington, Mavroyeni Bey, had been recalled and that his successor was about to leave for his new position, I felt that national courtesy required that I call upon him, and attended by a member of our legation, 
my secretary and myself crossed the Bosporusto, a magnificent estate on the Asiatic shore, the palatial home of Mustafa Tassin Bey, a gentleman of culture who had resided in New York in some legal capacity, and who I feel certain will be socially and officially acceptable to our government. I have received a decoration, officially described as follows. Brevet of Chevalier of the Royal Order of Melusine, founded in 1186 by Sibyl, queen and spouse of King Guy of Jerusalem, and reinstituted several years since by Marie, Princess of Lusignan. The order is conferred for humanitarian, scientific, and other services of distinction, but especially when such services are rendered to the house of Lusignan, and particularly to the Armenian nation. The order is worn by a number of reigning sovereigns, and is highly prized by the recipients because of its rare bestowal and its beauty. This decoration is bestowed by His Royal Highness, Guy of Lusignan, Prince of Jerusalem, Cyprus, and Armenia. Some months after returning home, I received through our State Department at Washington the Sultan's decoration of Shefakit, and its accompanying diploma in Turkish, a translation of which is here given. As Miss Barton, American citizen, possesses many great and distinguished qualities, and as recompense is due to her, I am pleased, therefore, to accord to her the second class of my decorations of Shafakit. Such were the honors which Miss Barton received from the Turkish government. Her American friends in Constantinople were no less enthusiastic. Among the foremost of American missionaries in Turkey, and those longest resident in Constantinople, the Reverend Doctors Dwight and Green deserve to be quoted as expressing the judgment of the Americans as a body from the reverend dr h o dwight one word among the many so generously spoken miss barton has done a splendid work sensibly and economically managed wherever her agents have been the missionaries have expressed the strongest approval of their methods and efficiency the work done has been of great and permanent importance from the Reverend Joseph K. Green, D.D., to the New York Independent. After some six months of service, Miss Clara Barton and her five able assistants have left Constantinople on their return to America. It was only on the earnest solicitation of the missionaries, the officers of the American board, and many other friends of the suffering armenians that miss barton undertook the relief in this land the difficulties of the work arising from the suspicions of the turkish authorities the distance from the capital to the sufferers the perils and discomforts in communicating with them 
and from unfamiliarity with the languages and customs of the people of the land would surely have appalled a less courageous heart under such circumstances it is only just and fair that the american public should be apprised of the substantial success of this mission of the red cross in the first place miss barton has shown a rare faculty in getting on well with everybody to facilitate her work she and the assistants whom she loves to call my men laid aside all the insignia of the red cross and appeared everywhere simply as private individuals she clearly understood that she could accomplish her mission only by securing the confidence and good will of the authorities and this she did by her patience and repeated explanations and by the assistance of the american legation when the era day or imperial decree sanctioning her mission was delayed she sent forward her assistance with only a travelling permit for a part of the way trusting and not in vain that the local authorities instructed from headquarters would facilitate their way as a matter of fact while mr pullman her secretary and treasurer remained at constantinople with miss barton her distributing agents namely dr hubble and mr mason mr wister and mr wood either together or in two parties travelled inland from alexandretta to killis eintab mirage zeaton burjik urfa dirabikir farkin harput palau malaysia arabkir egan sivas tokat samsun and back to constantinople without interruption or molestation they were readily and constantly supplied with guards and could not with safety have made their perilous four months journey without them demands are said to have been made that the distribution of aid be made under the supervision of government officials but in fact miss barton's agents knew how to make their distributions in every place after careful consultation and examination without any interference on the part of the authorities miss barton received in all about one hundred and sixteen thousand dollars and an unexpended balance of fifteen thousand four hundred dollars was committed to mr peat the treasurer of the american missions in turkey to be held as an emergency fund subject to miss barton's orders no expense has been incurred for miss barton or her agents save for travelling expenses and the wages of interpreters and with this exception the entire sum expended has gone to the actual relief of the sufferers while the fund committed to the anglo-american committee of which mr peat is a member a sum four to five times the amount committed to miss barton has been expended through the missionaries largely to save the hungry from starvation 
the relief through the agents of the red cross has for the most part been wisely devoted to the putting of the poor sufferers on their feet again and thus helping them to help themselves some five hundred lira a lira is four dollars and forty cents of good money were given for the cure and care of the sick in Marash, Zaton, and elsewhere, and some two thousand lira worth of cloths, thread, pins, and needles were sent inland. But many times this amount was expended in providing material for poor widows, seeds, agricultural implements, and oxen for farmers, tools for blacksmiths and carpenters, and looms for weavers in some places miss barton's agents had the pleasure of seeing vegetable gardens coming forward from seed furnished by the red cross and village farmers reaping the grain with sickles which the red cross had given the great want now a want which the funds of the red cross agents did not permit them to any large extent to meet is aid to the poor villagers to help them rebuild their burned and ruined houses and thus provide for themselves shelter against the rigors of the coming winter the red cross agents have however gathered a great stock of information and passing by the horrors of the massacres and the awful abuse of girls and women as unimpeachable witnesses they can bear testimony to the frightful sufferings and needs of the people we most sincerely hope and pray that miss barton and the agents and friends of the red cross will not esteem their work in turkey done but knowing now so well just what remains to be done and what can be done will bend every effort to secure further relief for the widows and orphans of the more than sixty thousand murdered men, mostly between the ages of eighteen and fifty, whose lives no earthly arm was outstretched to save. While we gratefully bear witness to the wise and indefatigable efforts of Miss Barton's agents, permit us to add that during her more than six months' stay in Constantinople, Miss Barton gave herself unremittingly to the work of her mission. She seems to have had no time for sightseeing, and not a few of her friends are disposed to complain that she had no time to accept the invitations of those who would have been glad to entertain her. The only relaxation she seems to have given herself was on two occasions the first a fourth of july picnic with a few american friends on one of the prince's islands and the second another picnic on the same island on wednesday august fifth when with three of her men she met some twenty american lady teachers and missionaries in order to bid them a courteous farewell the first occasion she unqualifiedly declared to have been the happiest fourth of july she had ever had and inspired by the occasion she penned some verses which she kindly read to her friends on the second gathering and which we very much wish she would permit the editor of the independent to publish 
On the second occasion, at Miss Barton's request, the financial secretary read his report, and Dr. Hubble and Mr. Wood presented reports of the work of distribution. We gratefully acknowledge the honor done us in permitting us to hear these reports, and remembering our concern for Miss Barton while preparing for the work of distribution six months ago, we gladly expressed our joy and congratulations now on the happy return of her faithful and efficient agents, of whom it may be truly said that they went and saw and conquered. We rejoiced that these new friends had come to know so well the American missionaries in Turkey, and were truly thankful for a mutually happy acquaintance. We wished Miss Barton and her men a hearty welcome on their arrival, and now, with all our hearts, we wish them Godspeed on their return home. Miss Barton was already much bedecorated before the formation of the American Red Cross, but she brought back from Turkey additional official decorations presented to her by the Turkish government and by prominent organizations represented by the Armenians. The foregoing outline briefly summarizes the work of Miss Barton and of the American Red Cross in the years following its official recognition and preceding the Spanish-American War. It was a glorious record. It gave to the Red Cross a definition in the mind of America and a place in the admiration of the world such as no philanthropic organization had ever attained. It brought to Clara Barton honors which she accepted with modesty and quietly laid away while she devoted herself to preparation for the next field of service. The work of the Red Cross was now a labor that occupied the whole twelve months. Her salaried force was small. The expense of administration was kept low. She maintained a skeleton organization with a stock of supplies such as did not deteriorate by storage, and was certain to be needed when the first news of disaster arrived. She did not employ a large force of idle helpers. She depended upon the emergency bringing its own troop of assistants who worked under her direction and the direction of those whom she had trained. Clara Barton knew, what not all philanthropists know, that it is as important for a philanthropic organization to get out when its work is done as it is for it to go in when the work is needed. In almost every field she met with requests for the continuance of the work after she knew that the time had come for the people to rely upon their own resources. She was determined that the Red Cross should never become a pauperizing institution or furnish employment for an army of official idlers. End of chapter 12, part 3